Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. everyone so um, I want to kick off with a question uh, this morning now I am guessing most people are still in their pajamas so I won't make you uh, turn your cameras on um, but if you could use the chat that would be really great and I just want you um, or a couple of people to put in the chat some of the famous bad guys in the bible so just rack your brains who are the bad guys of the bible do you want to just bash your answers in um and we'll see how everyone gets on. I can see Mike's face is in there. I can see it looks very contemplative. So we've got the devil. We've got a bit of Goliath. Is there only two bad guys in the Bible? Is that the best? We've got Judas, Jezebel, Herod. This is good. This is good. Balaam, Nero. Great. Fantastic. So I'll flip the question around. Um, exactly the same again in the chat. Can you give me some of the good guys and the heroes of the Bible? Now, I know someone is about to write Jesus. Um, yes, that is a correct answer. But let's go for the, the non-divine heroes in the Bible. So we've got David. David, David. Everyone loves David. This is good. Daniel, Moses, Peter. Another Daniel. This is good. This is good. Give us a couple more. Great. Fantastic. Um, and then final question. Now, I'm not going to ask you to write these ones down because I think that's probably a bit um, unfair. Um, but can you think in your head who the good guys and the bad guys of your life are? Um, so just take a second, just picture, you know, who are the people in your life that the sun just shines out of their bottom? Uh, they're just amazing. Uh, or maybe who are the people uh, in your life that you just regard as? Uh, thank you, Andy Brownlee, which I'm guessing is Elizabeth, is it? That's much appreciated. Um, I'm going to say, is that good guy or bad guy? You didn't clarify. I'm not going to ask that question, actually. I don't want to know the answer. Let, let's move on hastily. Um, and so, yeah, I just want you to have a ponder in your head. Other than me, who are the good guys and the bad guys in your life? Um, because this morning we're going to look at what I've decided to call the bad, um, the good and the choice. Um, and my slightly tenuous link uh, with the above is to highlight that we're we're really good in our heads of splitting people into good and bad like a lot of the characters that you'll see um, you've all listed will have good and bad um, moments good and bad stories good and bad times but we're very very good at splitting them into good people and bad people um, as if we're kind of looking from our own perspective um, and what that means is when we come to read passages like today's passage, we can kind of jump a bit too quickly into um, splitting people into the bad and the good when actually I don't think that's what our passage is getting at. Um, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy um, and we've been looking today at the whole of chapter three. So it's a big chunk uh, and I've given it the title, The Bad, The Good and the choice. So those are the three things that we're going to be looking at. Um, but just before we dive in, I'm going to give you some context again. Um, and it's just, it's, it's helpful to remember that it's written by Paul. Um, and Paul, the kind of very old apostle at this point, um, is stuck somewhere in Rome in prison, and he knows he's coming towards the end of his life. He's old. Um, 
and he's really concerned about some of the trends that he's seen in society um, in the last days, which is basically all the days since Jesus ascended uh, in the first century until he comes again. Um, so we are now living in those last days. And the way people are behaving is concerning to Paul. And so what he's done is he's written a letter to prepare Timothy, uh, who's the person he's writing this letter to, um, so that Timothy doesn't get caught up in all this and, and get swept away with all the stuff uh, that is concerning Paul. And so we're going to start this morning with the bad, um, what Paul is trying to warn Timothy to stay away from. And I believe Josh uh, is going to pop up uh, and read to us verses one to nine. Thank you, Josh. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, that folly will be clear to everyone. Brilliant. Thank you, Josh. Um, so that um, first bit of the passage, that bit is all bad. Um, and I think if we're all honest, we, we, we hear those words and it makes pretty scary reading um, because going through the list that, that, that Josh has just, just read for us, I think I probably tick most, if not all of those boxes. Um, I think even in, you know, the last week, I have been um, ungrateful. I have lacked self-control. I've been unholy. I've been proud. Um, and I, I read that list and I just want you to know, is Paul suggesting that anyone who's done those things automatically falls into the bad camp? Um, and I don't think that's what, what Paul is saying. Paul is far too good a theologian to kind of split us into good and bad like that. Because, you know, really sort of inherently as mankind, we're all in the bad camp from the start. Um, so since Adam and Eve, there has only been one perfect human, that's Jesus. And the rest of us are, are less than perfect. And because we're less than perfect, we're not good enough. And so from the start, we're in the bad camp. Nothing we can do can put us further into the bad camp than we already are. Um, and Paul, Paul will be well aware of this. And he'll be really aware that all the people reading his letter are going to be ticking some of those boxes. Um, there is no human um, who hasn't been unholy, who hasn't lacked self-control or, or, or been unforgiving. And Paul will know this as he's writing. So what does he mean when he is putting this bad group of people together with this description? And I think that the real key to the passage, if you've got your Bibles and you're reading along, um, is to look at verse 7. Um, and in verse seven, Paul um, describes these people as always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. 
Um, now, a lot of the people who have been reading this letter would have been Greeks, and Greeks loved their knowledge. They were all about philosophy and, and developing intellect and understanding. That was kind of the pinnacle. That was what the Greeks valued most, more than anything. Um, but scripture doesn't really seem to see things that way. So scripture doesn't seem to rate um, solely knowledge particularly highly at all. Um, now, Paul was a Jew um, and Jews would take what we would say is probably the more biblical view um, that it's applying knowledge, which is valuable and important. Um, Paul will have known his scripture back to front. Uh, he'll have known the words of Jesus back to front. And Jesus himself says, why do you call me Lord, but do not what I say? And Paul will have recognised that actually knowing what is right and wrong isn't enough. Knowing that Jesus is Lord isn't enough. Um, what Paul is, is touching on is that coming to a knowledge of truth is all about assimilating head knowledge and then doing something with it, letting it transform you. That's the knowledge of the truth. You can only truly know and understand the truth when it changes you and changes your heart. It gets out of your head and moves to your heart. And so I think what Paul is describing in his list of the bad here is the people who've maybe got the head knowledge, but they've missed out on the real knowledge of the truth, which requires them to change from those behaviours, to change their heart. Um, again, if you're following in verse eight, um, Paul describes those who oppose the truth. Uh, and I think in context, what Paul is basically saying um, is those people who are going to say you don't need to change. Uh, they're saying that all the stuff in that bad list that Josh has read for us, that those things are OK. Um, I think what a very worried Paul is warning Timothy of is um, the people who know all the intellectual stuff. They've got all the right answers, but they aren't doing anything about changing their hearts. Um, the people who will make all the excuses and for whatever reason don't want to challenge and change those behaviours that we know to be sinful and we know to be evil. Um, the first verse um, that Josh read for us um, describes terrible times to come, verse one. Um, and some translations will say perilous times um, others say dangerous times. And I think for me, um, dangerous times probably hits the mark uh, the best because Paul is saying, Look, all of this, this evil, a lot of this has become normalised. You know, loving, loving yourself, uh, using your money for security, being proud, loving pleasure over loving God. All of these things are now becoming normal in our society, Timothy. And what you need to do, Timothy, is you need to guard against them. They are not normal. They are not good. Um, and I think reading reading these words, I never realised there were quite so much similarity between Paul's world in the sort of Greco-Roman Empire in the first century and our world in Manchester in the 21st century. Um, actually, we're, we're still living in those exact same dangerous times um, because we now live in a world where loving yourself first and, and loving God second is is normal for our society. That's standard. That's the way um, the world works now. And so it's even easier um, for us as Christians to fall and slide into that trap. It's a dangerous time to be living in. And that is what Paul is trying to warn us against. That is the bad. Um, but now we're going to switch it up. We're going to go to a slightly happier note and we're going to have a look at the good. And so, Josh, can you uh, read for us, please, uh, verses 10 and 11? 
You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Brilliant. Thank you, Josh. Now, obviously, this this bit is much happier. This is the good. Um, Paul is kind of showing us what the good looks like. He's talking about purpose and faith and, and, and patience and love and endurance. And all of these are, are definitely much happier, much nicer words. But I think I'm left with the same problem that I was when we read the last few verses, because when I read them, I feel really challenged. Um, I think those words don't describe me all the time. Um, a lot of the time I, I lack faith. Uh, I'm definitely not patient enough. I don't have endurance. Uh, you know, does that mean I'm not one of the good guys? Uh, I think as we touched on before, Paul is a pretty solid theologian. So I think when he's listing these qualities, he knows these aren't what make us good. Just in the same way as doing the bad things can't make us any more bad. Um, actually doing these good things can't make us good. And Paul, Paul knows this. He knows he isn't inherently good. He knows he's a sinner. He knows that he needs Jesus just like the rest of us. Um, elsewhere in scripture, Paul, Paul describes himself as the worst of sinners. Um, so I think here he's not calling himself the prime example or the good guy. Um, and I think most importantly, what he's not saying is that you need to have nailed all of these things to be good enough for Jesus. He's not saying any of that. I think what Paul is starting to get at is that we have a choice. Now, in his book about the, the Soviet prison system, uh, there's a guy called Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which I'm guessing I have pronounced wrong, but someone I'm sure will correct me later. Uh, and he was the person who first said the very famous quote uh, used by uh, Martin Luther and others, uh, that the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And I think that is probably the quote to sum up this passage. Um, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Um, so when writing this letter, Paul is well aware that there is a bad guy and a good guy inside all of us. Um, the bad is our um, inherent sinful nature that's been passed down from Adam. Um, and the good is God. And so we've got this sort of constant battle on one side uh, between the bad, the other side, the good. Our hearts are in kind of constant tension between the two and they, they will be for the rest of our time here on earth. That battle is not going to stop until we reach glory. And so when I first read that passage, knowing that Paul knows these things, I'm like, why is now Paul telling us what the good is, knowing that we're never going to be able to fully achieve this? Is he just trying to maybe make us feel guilty because we're not good enough? Um, or maybe because uh, we can't be perfect, is he somehow suggesting that we're condemned to always be in the bad? And I'm sure you will all be relieved to hear, I don't think it's either of those things. Because we've read about the bad this morning, we've read about the good, uh, and we know there's a tension between the two, but we haven't yet read about the choice. Uh, and so Josh is just going to read us our final verses, uh, verse 12, just go to verse 15, if you can, Josh. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. William, thank you, Josh. And Anusha, I'm very sorry, I didn't give you enough heads up for either of those passages. Um, but I just want to um, reiterate a bit of what Josh has just read to us. It's a bit that says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. And I think here, Paul is starting to show us a bit more about this choice that we have, because we've already covered doing the bad will not make us any more bad. And doing the good will not make us any more good. Actually, you know, Paul gets that. He knows that as Christians, we love Jesus and we want to press on to be more like him. But we're also sinners who get it wrong and do it our way instead of God's way. And for the rest of our earthly lives, both of those will be the case. There will be that tension. And so what Paul's done is he's presented the bad and he's presented the good. And then he's given us a very simple way to determine which camp we're sitting in. Actually, are we running towards the bad? Evildoers and imposters going from bad to worst, or are we running towards the good? Are we learning? That is um, essentially what this whole passage is broken down to. Are we running towards the things of this world or are we running towards the example laid down for us in scripture? Are we running towards the bad or the good? And essentially it all boils down to that one question as disciples, are we trying to do it our own way or are we trying to do it God's way? Are we running towards Jesus or are we trying to run away from Jesus? And ultimately, that is really the only question that matters in this whole good versus bad passage that Paul has, has written to us about. Um, to steal a bit um, more of Paul's work in Romans, the Bible says that those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they will be saved. So there is an element of believing and then there's an element of doing something about it, i.e. confessing with your mouth. That is it. You know, there's no long list of rules to tick off the things that you can't do and that you have to avoid the things that you um, should do and that you have to tick those boxes to achieve good because that's just not possible for us. But actually, Paul's also really clear that believing in your head isn't enough. Um, knowing Jesus like the knowledge of the Greeks where it's all intellectual um, isn't enough. Knowing Jesus is about knowing him in your heart. And actually, if we truly know the creator of the universe, we'll want to do something about that. And so we'll want to strive to the good. We'll want to leave behind the sin and the bad and the mess. But not because those are the things that achieve our salvation, but actually because we've recognised we're in a relationship and we love Jesus and we want to do those things. And so I think my conclusion really from this passage is that it's not about whether we are good or bad. Um, we are all good guys and bad guys, but not because of anything that we have done. We are inherently bad. And actually through what Jesus did for us, that is what makes us good. And so the only question for us that I think matters from um, this passage that Paul's written to Timothy is not whether we've ticked those bad boxes or whether we've ticked those good boxes. But actually, 
are we trying to carry on in our evil ways or are we trying to learn and run towards Jesus? That's all Paul is saying. Which direction are our lives heading in? Are we heading that way towards the bad or are we heading that way towards God? And so I think in 2 Timothy 3, Paul is just urging Timothy, he's urging him on to say, look, there is lots of concerning stuff going on in the world where people are putting themselves first, they're putting money first, they're being selfish and prideful and unforgiving and all these things. Timothy, don't do that. Don't be proud and do it your own way. Don't be proud and do it the way of the world, but actually just get up each day and try and love Jesus more. Just keep pushing on, keep learning. Yes, you're going to get it wrong. Yes, you're going to mess it up. But Timothy, please just keep going. Keep trying to love Jesus more. Um, I think one of the things I've always found really interesting um, is how much the Bible references being like a little child. Um, Jesus says in, in Matthew 18, he says, truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've um, grown up all my life, really, in church. I've been a Christian since I was a teenager, but I've never really got why the Bible tells us to have a childlike faith. Um, I think I used to maybe think it was because children are really innocent. Um, you know, they're really cute. They don't, you know, have inherently bad thoughts. And so I kind of thought, you know, children are perfect. They're good and they're innocent. Um, but actually then, obviously, as we come to understand a bit more about the fact that because of what Adam did, we are all inherently not perfect and we are all inherently sinful. I realised actually maybe that isn't it. And so until more recently, I maybe thought it's because a child's faith is so accepting. Um, a child will always kind of just trust. They'll just believe whatever they're told. Um, but then I also realised this probably isn't a great definition of faith either. Um, and I'm um, reading at the minute an absolutely exceptional book uh, by a guy called Brennan Manning. Um, and he talks about this childlike faith an awful lot. Uh, and, and he says that we're encouraged to become like children, that Jesus wants us to uh, have a childlike faith, actually, because children are so dependent and um, they have no choice but to trust. Children are so unself-conscious in a way, you know, they aren't capable of, of a pretense. They're, they're happy and content just to be dependent on their parent. They just accept that role of needing someone else. To kind of quote directly from his book, the child doesn't have to struggle to get himself in a good position. He doesn't have to struggle for a good relationship with God. He doesn't have to create a, a pretty face for himself. He doesn't have to achieve any state of spiritual feeling like we often do. All a child does is accept what he's given and accept that he is dependent. And I just love that explanation of what our faith should be like. I think so often as grown-ups, we try and put up on a, a front or we'll try and earn it. We'll try and tick the good boxes. We'll try and avoid the bad boxes. But actually what Manning and many others say is actually what Jesus is getting at is that it's not about that. It's about going on a journey. Ultimately, our only goal is to go on a journey to each day um, learn more and more to have a childlike faith, to be fully dependent on Jesus. To keep learning day in and day out how to be content, not in doing it our way or, or, or being dependent on ourselves, but actually just letting go and fully trusting in him and being dependent on him. 
You know, to quote um, verse 15 of this passage, that's how we become wise for our salvation. Um, often we can equate that, oh, you know, we need to be wise, so we need to learn this, and we need to understand this, and we need to do this. Actually, it's not about the intellectual. It's about the heart. Becoming wise for our salvation is about learning to um, not do it our way and learning to be dependent on God. It's that simple. It's not about avoiding a bad list or doing a good list because we're never going to meet that standard. Actually, all Paul is telling us is, you know what? If you want to call yourself a Christian, if you define yourself as a Christian, the most important thing is that you want to learn and more. To day in, day out, learn how to be more and more dependent on God. And yes, as a consequence of that, we may see ourselves um, ticking less and less of those bad boxes and ticking more and more of those good boxes. But it's not about ticking the boxes. That is just a consequence of us falling more in love with Jesus and becoming more dependent and more reliant on him. And so I think my my summary from this passage is that it's so easy to read words like this and become caught up in legalism, uh, to focus on the bad and the good and focus on doing some things or not doing others. But actually, all Paul is yearning for Timothy to do is each day make a choice. And I think that's all Paul is longing for us to do as well, to each day make a choice, to not go along with the ways of the world but actively to learn how to pursue Jesus more, how to not just know stuff in our heads, but actually to live it out in our hearts. And there is no expectation that we're going to get it right all the time. There is no expectation we're going to tick every box in the right way. But actually the mark of whether we're loving Jesus is which direction we're pointing in. Are we pointing towards him or are we pointing away from him? That's it. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly freeing. And that is the gospel, I suppose. It sets us free from legalism. It sets us free from rules and it points us towards learning in a relationship. And so that is really all I want to leave us with this morning. Um, just in a time of lockdown, in a time when it's um, probably for many of us caused us to reflect a lot about our own lives, to look inwards an awful lot more. Actually, um, are we focusing on the rules? Are we focusing on the boxes that we're ticking? Because I know I can fall into that so much. Or are we just focusing on which way we're pointing? Not trying to uh, tick the rules or, or, or tick the boxes, but actually just point towards Jesus and say, actually, Lord, I just want to learn. All I want to do is learn every day how I can love you more and how I can be more dependent on you. Are we pointing towards Jesus or away from him? Are we pointing towards the things of this world or are we pointing towards the things of God? Are we pointing towards the bad or the God? That is the only question that really matters.